You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science alone. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are taking a little break from COVID to talk about something that has certainly touched all of our lives in some way or another, uh, which is cancer. Before we do that, we have a couple of things we wanted to chat with you about. First and foremost, Andrea, you know, I think that people think that we as scientists, maybe we are the the picture of health and of healthy <laughs> habits. And I think that we should be a little bit transparent about some of our own unhealthy habits. So do you want me to start? Do you want to talk about <laughs> You're like, yeah, Jessica. You, you. Yeah. Yes, yes, please. You start. <laughs> okay. All right. So obviously being in public health, I'm all about prevention and, and, and good, healthy behaviors, but I don't want to sit here and pretend that I've been perfect. You know, obviously I've gone through many phases of my life and younger, I'll, I'm not ashamed to admit to you guys that I was a social smoker. Uh, this might surprise people who know that a lot of my life has been dedicated to the evaluation of tobacco policies. My, my father, who since passed away, uh, has suffered from advanced COPD for many years as a result of his smoking. This was something that, you know, really touched my life and something I'm very passionate about. But even still, I did socially smoke. I can't wait to talk to you guys more about smoking and social smoking and e-cigarettes and all kinds of other tobacco-related topics, um, not for today. But I wanted to share that with you. And I also wanted to tell you that now I maybe occasionally hit up Taco Bell or McDonald's. <laughs> and it's not something that I'm you know, especially proud of, but it's something that once in a blue moon, that is just what's convenient. If I don't have time before picking up my kids or something like that, I'll swing by. So am I condoning <laughs> unhealthy or behaviors? No, absolutely not. But I'm also just acknowledging that we're human and sometimes we engage in these behaviors and, you know, in, in moderation, I don't think it's all that bad. Now, how about you, Andrea? Make me feel better about myself. <laughs> right. I will. I will. So, you know, just like Jess, um, when I was younger, I also partook in social smoking, probably even a little bit more so um, than Jess did. And it, and it started when I was in high school. I smoked cigarettes for probably a solid three to four years. And this was while I was a competitive athlete, both running and judo. And so I was smoking and I was doing sports and, you know, knew it was bad, you know, was already in my career, um, you know, in science. But I dated a boy in high school who smoked cigarettes and we would smoke cigarettes together and then I became addicted. But I did quit in college. I used the nicotine patch, which was very effective for me. And, you know, we all we all have our coping mechanisms for for various things. Um, I feel like we're admitting something really naughty. Right now. <laughs> I'm just like hovered over my computer right now, like whispering into the, into the microphone. 
<laughs> Sorry, you were about to say something. No, it's funny. I mean, my my stepdad used to give me flack because he knew when nobody else knew because he had been a, a prior a previous smoker for most of his life, and so he was much more sensitive to the smell, you know. And he would kind of catch signs. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I was in high school, I was very like strategic. I had my you know my my mouth spray and my gum and my this and like I thought it was so clever, but um, you know, and and on top of that, you know, I am an athlete. But, you know, aside from that, you know, I do indulge in, you know, some, you know, occasional bad food choices. And I am not ashamed to say that sometimes my dinner is a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, you know, too, I struggle with disordered eating. So too rigid a diet is very unhealthy for me for my eating disorder. So if I'm craving ice cream or cookies or a bag of chips, you know, I will indulge it because for me, that sort of balance is very key for me. And I think this is important because we're not here to shame anyone, right? And we want to be realistic. We know that sometimes these these things happen. We're not sitting here in a soapbox pretending to be perfect or anything like that. We're real people too. So I'm glad that we just aired some of our dirty laundry. (laughs) All right. Next up, we really wanted to talk to you guys about women who engineer. We know we've talked to you about them in the past, but we have more to say. And I'm really excited about this. So women who engineer, and, you know, we're talking about this. This is that Instagram page. Their handle is at women who engineer. They're launching a new series in a couple of weeks on May 14th via their Insta stories. Yeah. And the whole goal of this, and this was a quote from the founder. um, She said, in the beginning, I was sharing the experiences of how women got involved in STEM, hoping to inspire. However, I quickly began to realize that many of these women were branching off into entrepreneurial endeavors with no support in terms of media or advertising resources. So regardless of the number of women involved at this intersection of digital creativity and tech, um, I wasn't seeing them in the mainstream media. She hopes that this Insta Story series will be the first step in connecting this incredible community of women with the many women breaking down barriers through our unified love of science, NFTs, crypto, gaming, and so on. Well, I'm super excited about this. I'm definitely marking my calendar from for May 14th, and, and we hope that you do the same. And yes, uh, we did ask, and yes, they will still be featuring the traditional STEM stories that we've all grown to love. So be sure to check that out. Again, this is at Women Who Engineer, and mark your calendars for May 14th. So, okay, if you didn't tune in last week, we'll do a very brief recap, but Andrea once again sat through the entire ACIP hearing on the Johnson & Johnson uh, COVID-19 vaccine. By now, I'm sure you've heard that the pause has been lifted, so we walk through that. We walk through the decision-making, the implications, um, and then we also included some audio from a recent COVID question and answer series that we did with the South Florida vaccination group. And I think we touched on a lot of the commonly asked questions, Andrea, and we debunked some myths. I can't even remember the things that we talked about. Do you remember any specifics, anything you wanted to highlight? 
We addressed a lot of the commonly encountered misconceptions. We talked about uh, why getting an antibody test is not necessarily useful after getting vaccinated to see if it worked. We talked about why um, there's no way that you would test positive on a diagnostic test after vaccination because of how vaccination actually is implemented. Um, We talked again, we reiterated the concepts of the clinical trials, and we talked about emergency use authorization. We talked about, you know, how it doesn't affect your DNA and all of those myths that we routinely encounter. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you have a really good memory. You're you're a steel trap. I'm like, yeah, we talked about COVID. <laughs> you're like spouting off all the specifics we talked about. Thank you for that. But yeah, so as we said, this week we are taking a little breather. We're, we're, we're stepping back from COVID to talk about cancer. So cancer is a major public health problem in the United States as well as worldwide, of course. It's the second leading cause of death in the U.S., But in 2020, you know, obviously COVID came around, as we all know, and and the diagnosis and treatment of cancer was hampered by the pandemic. So reduced access to care because of healthcare setting closures resulted in delays in, um, in the diagnosis of advanced stage disease and actually ultimately increased mortality. But this secondary consequence of the pandemic is going to take a lot of time, probably several years to quantify because of the lag in the dissemination of population-based surveillance data. So today we're going to walk through some cancer statistics, um, and these, of course, help us understand trends. So by looking at cancer rates over time, we can track changes in the risk of developing and dying from specific cancers as well as cancer overall. So let's talk about the burden of cancer in the U.S. So in 2020, an estimated approximately 1.8 million new cases of cancer will be diagnosed in the U.S., and six over 600,000 people will die from the disease. Now, I know it's confusing. I just said in 2020, and we're talking about projections, but remember, there's a lag in population health surveillance data, and we're early in 2021. So this is our best guess for 2020 estimates. Now, the rate of new cases of cancer, so now we're talking about cancer incidence, and just very briefly, the difference between incidence and prevalence is that incidence is talking about new cases of, of cancer or of any disease that you're describing, whereas prevalence is the disease burden, how many people are currently living with the disease. So in terms of the incidence, new cases of cancer, it's 442.4 per 100,000 men and women per year. The cancer death rate or the mortality rate is about 158 per 100,000 people. Now, the cancer mortality rate is higher among men than women. It's a difference of about Well, we're comparing 189.5 per 100,000 men and 135.7 per 100,000 women. When we talk about race and ethnicity and sex, uh, cancer mortality is highest in African-American men and is lowest in Asian Pacific Islander women. As of January 2019, 
there were an estimated almost 17 million cancer survivors in the U.S. And that number of survivors is projected to increase to over 22 million by 2030. Approximately 40% of people will be diagnosed with cancer at some point during their lifetime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In 2020, an estimated almost 17,000 children and adolescents between the ages of 0 to 19 will be diagnosed with cancer, and just under 2,000 will die of the disease. Now, in terms of expenditures, we know we spend a lot of money on cancer care in the U.S. in particular. In 2018, we actually spent over $150 billion, and we expect that this number is only going to increase over time as people age, more people have cancer, and as we develop new and likely more expensive treatments. So, I'm sorry, I know I'm going on and on here, but those were U.S. statistics. I just wanted to talk about the global impact of cancer. It's also among the leading causes of death worldwide. And in 2018, there were over 18 million new cases and 9.5 million cancer-related deaths. And that's worldwide, (laughs) excuse me. By 2040, the number of new cancer cases is expected to rise to just under 30 million and the number of cancer-related deaths to over 16 million. And we know that cancer rates are typically highest in countries whose populations have the highest life expectancy, education level, and standard of living. But for some cancer types, such as cervical cancer, we see that the opposite is actually true and that the incidence rate is highest in countries in which the population ranks low on these measures. That's a such an interesting point, Jess, what, that you mentioned. You know, I mean, I think I think, you know, everybody understands the substantial burden of cancer, you know, across the world. And that, you know, I think the important takeaway there is you know, it's a huge disease burden, but there are different types of cancers and we see different trends depending on the types of cancers. And we're going to get a little bit more into that uh, in a bit. And Andrea, you know, we were talking about this briefly before we started recording, but I think there's a real misconception about what cancer is. And people think that it's just this cleanly and clearly defined disease. Can you talk to us about what, what is cancer? Sure. So cancer is a catch-all term for a disease that's caused by uncontrolled growth of our own cells. So it's actually not one disease. It is hundreds of different diseases. And the reason behind that is because cancer at its foundation is a genetic disease. So cancer, as I mentioned, it's uncontrolled growth. So we have all of these different cell types in our bodies. And you know, as we develop as a fetus, these cells that start from these little balls of cells that have what we call undifferentiated 
identities, meaning that they could become anything. That's what we call a stem cell. They become cells with specific identities. So we have specific cells that are skin cells. We have specific cells that are lung cells. We have our immune cells. We have cells that make pigment. And all of these are what we call differentiated. So they all have specific functions. They have specific reproduction capacity. They have specific identities. But when cancer occurs, these normally healthy cells with defined functions and lifespans stop responding to all of the normal cues in our body. So our body is so tightly regulated. It has all of these trillions of cells, different organ systems, all sorts of things that are interconnected and functioning as an entity. But cancer occurs when those things become dysregulated. And the main thing that drives this is mutation. So mutation is a theme that I'm sure you have all come to know and love, um, just like we have. But cancer evolves through the process of mutation. And it's not a single mutation. It is many, many mutations that are cumulative in our bodies over the course of our lives. And that is ultimately why the majority of cancers occur as people age. So if you remember when we were talking about COVID-19, we talked about these viral variants that are cropping up through the process of mutation of the virus. The process of cancer is Kind of similar to that, where when our cells reproduce in our bodies, random errors occur as well. And in our bodies, we have much better proofreading mechanisms than viruses have because our cells are much more complex even at an individual cell level. So typically when these errors occur, there's a process that our cells will undergo called programmed cell death or apoptosis. And they'll die. They'll sacrifice themselves because mutations are not necessarily a good thing. But ultimately, in some instances, the cells stop responding to those signals that say, hey, you have mutations, you're supposed to die now. And they instead continue to reproduce. And the more they reproduce, the more the mutations occur. And the more mutations occur, the more they'll reproduce. And it becomes this cycle where eventually these cancer cells continue to grow and grow and grow. Now, normally our immune system plays a role in stopping this. So there are always cancer cells in our body. Cells always have cancer properties in our body, but our immune system is surveilling our body at all times. And what it will do is if, if that, that cell doesn't undergo programmed cell death on its own, our immune system will clean it out. But Cancer is very, very clever because it's actually able to manipulate the immune system as well, and that's how tumors and circulating cancers can continue to progress. And we're going to get more into that in a little bit. But the thing to understand is that cancers are a, a subset of cumulative mutations, and every cancer is genetically distinct. So every single person who develops cancer has a unique cancer because we are all genetically distinct from each other. So even if you're comparing one person with breast cancer to another person with breast cancer, their breast cancers are going to be different from each other because it's it's a function of their own body. So that's really interesting, actually, and I don't think that people realize that. So what you're saying is even if someone has the same 
type of cancer, and I know that we're about to get into the different ways that cancers are categorized, you're saying that because each of us have, we're so genetically distinct that the cancer is going to be uniquely distinct for each and every one of us. That, that's really fascinating. Exactly. And in, you know, even in a single type of cancer, you know, one person may have, you know, a group of a certain set of mutations and another person may have a completely different set of mutations. Now, there are certain mutations that are often seen very commonly in certain cancers, and those are kind of hallmarks of cancer. But again, they're still going to be very unique depending on the person that those mutations occur in. So let's talk a little bit about the way that cancers are categorized. So Mm -hmm. we know that they could be, and I'm going to turn to you to to walk us through some examples, but we know that they could be categorized by the type of tissue or cell, the type of organ affected, the type of mutation, and by the stage of progression. Can Mm -hmm. you give us some examples? Yeah. So, you know, as I just mentioned, I think the big takeaway from today's episode is really that cancer is very, very complex and you can't really distill it into a single box, but it's this broad class of diseases. So if we talk about cancers that are characterized by the type of cell or tissue that they occur in, the terms that you're going to encounter are things like carcinoma. So carcinomas are cancers that occur in a layer of cells called epithelial cells, and these are cells in our skin layers. But even within the carcinomas, we have other types. So we have squamous cell carcinoma, and these are cancers of a specific type of epithelial cell called squamous cells. We also have basal cell carcinomas as another example, and these are basal epithelial cells. You also have cancers that are of the bone or soft tissue. So those would be things like muscle, fat, lymph vessels, and tendons and ligaments. And those are called sarcomas. So an example would be osteosarcoma, which is the most common type of bone cancer, or another type called Kaposi sarcoma, which is a cancer of the skin, the lymph nodes, and the lining of our mouth, mouth, nose, and, and throat. So again, diversity based on tissues. Then when we talk about additional cell types, these are what we call some of our um, hematologic or hematologic, depending on how you pronounce it. And these are going to be our leukemias, our lymphomas, and our multiple myelomas. So these are not what we call solid tumors. So your carcinomas, your sarcomas, these are solid tumors, meaning there's a physical growth. Leukemias, lymphomas, and multiple myelomas are in our bloodstream. These are what we call circulating tumors or circulating cancers. So leukemias are cancers of our white blood cells, our leukocytes. So these circulate in our bloodstream because that's where our immune cells are circulating, um, as well as in our lymphatic vessels. And so there are many types of leukemia that are classified by the cell type that they occur in and how quickly the disease progresses. So you have acute versus chronic, and then you have myeloid versus lymphocytic. So you have different classes of leukemia depending on whether it progresses quickly in an acute situation or whether it progresses slowly in a chronic situation. So examples would be acute myelogenous leukemia, which is a rapid onset that occurs in myeloid cells. So these would be cells that would become a specific class of white blood cells or blood cells. And then you have another example, such as the chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which is a slower progressing cancer and happens to be the most common cause of leukemia in adults. 
When we get into the lymphomas, lymphomas are cancers of white blood cells that are specifically called the lymphocytes. So these are T cells versus B cells. And the two classes or the two broad classes of these are Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphomas. But we further divide those into classes as well. So then, of course, you have other classes of tumors as well, like multiple myeloma, like I mentioned. That is a cancer of a specific blood cell type called plasma cells. And then you have additional things like melanomas, which are cancers of a specific pigment-producing cell called melanocytes. And then you have a whole other type of classification for tumors of the central nervous system, so the spinal cord and the brain. Wow. That was a lot, Andrea, but that's really no, that that that's so interesting and so important. So I guess the question we get asked a lot is, you know, what are the most common cancers? Um, so I pulled some of the um, the latest stats from 2020. So listed in descending order, according to estimated new cases in 2020, are breast cancer, lung and bronchus cancer, prostate cancer, colon and rectum cancer, melanoma of the skin, bladder cancer, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, kidney and renal pelvis cancer, endometrial cancer, leukemia, pancreatic cancer, thyroid cancer, and liver cancer. Now, prostate, lung, and colorectal cancers account for an estimated 43% of all cancers diagnosed in men in 2020. And for women, the three most common cancers are breast, lung, and colorectal. And they will account for an estimated 50% of all new cancer diagnoses in women in 2020. Wow, Jess, I mean, I think you really underscored the diversity of different types of cancer there. And, you know, I notice here that you're categorizing them by the body location, right? Yes, ma'am. Let's talk about that a little bit. (laughs) So that's important because, of course, all of these organ types have those cell types that we talked about. So when we use an organ or a body location, there are also numerous types of cancer that get that can be fit under that umbrella. So when we talk about something like esophageal cancer, you can have different types of esophageal cancer. You could have something called esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, and that's a, a cancer that originates in the esophagus and affects the specific, the squamous epithelial cells. But you could also have other types of esophageal cancer, like esophageal adenocarcinoma or esophageal small cell carcinoma. With another example, like breast cancer, you can have a variety of types of breast cancer. So you can have the most common is invasive ductal carcinoma. So this is a cancer that originates in the breast tissue and is invasive. We're going to talk about what that means in a little bit, but that accounts for about 70 to 80% of breast cancers. There are also cases such as ductal carcinoma in situ, which means that it originates in the breast tissue, but it's non-invasive. So in situ means in place. So it's not, it's not invading. Um, But there's other types as well, such as inflammatory breast cancer, invasive lobular carcinoma, et cetera. So I think the big takeaway is that you know, we can triage these by, by location, by cell type, by 
progression of disease, but these are all so unique and so distinct and so personal to every single person that develops them. So I'm thinking there are going to be some people who are listening, Andrea, who are nervous, right? I myself mm-hmm. have been nervous and Andrea, I know we, you know, we can speak about ways that cancer has touched our own lives. I don't know if now's the time to do it. We could do it another time, but if you're listening, I thought we thought it would be helpful to talk about some of the signs and symptoms that are caused by cancer. But as Andrea just said, there's such diversity in cancer that really the signs and symptoms, of course, are going to vary depending on what part of the body is affected. Yeah. But generally speaking, some general signs and symptoms associated with but not specific to cancer include, and I'm going to read this list, but if you have one or a few of these things, it doesn't mean that you have cancer automatically, right? Mm-hmm. So so please don't get scared. But fatigue, uh, a lump or area of thickening that could be felt under the skin, weight changes, including unintended, either weight loss or weight gain, Skin changes such as yellowing or darkening or redness of the skin, sores that won't heal, changes to existing moles, um, changes in bowel or bladder habits, persistent cough or trouble breathing, difficulty swallowing, hoarseness, persistent indigestion or discomfort after eating, persistent unexplained muscle or joint pain, persistent unexplained fevers or night sweats, or unexplained bleeding or bruising. So we, oops, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? I was going to, I was going to say, Jess, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really important that we talk about this because of course, you know, there are some symptom hallmarks of cancer, but it's also important for everybody listening that there are some cancers that don't present with a lot of obvious symptoms. And the best practice is getting preventative healthcare, right? Getting your checkups, getting your exams, getting blood work done routinely. You know, maybe this is a good time. I mean, I personally, you know, I've had two abnormal growths on my cervix due to, you know, that were found during annual gynecological exams. And I had to get biopsies for both of them. And thankfully they were precancerous and not cancerous, but that's something that now, now I need to be aware of because that can have the potential to progress to cancer in the future. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Absolutely. And I actually have the, the, the same situation, Andrea. I had an abnormal pap smear that prompted my physician to, uh, to you know, uh, to ask me to go for further testing. And I, I too, had my cervix biopsied and thank goodness everything's okay. Um, I've also had suspicious moles that I've had biopsied at preventative skin checks. And actually the thing that, that really rattled me was, so I am Ashkenazi Jewish, which is a known, uh, makes me higher risk for, for certain cancers, including uh, breast cancer and ovarian cancer and and some other cancers. Um, And I also have a strong history of cancer in my family. So 
I had one grandmother who had ovarian cancer, another had breast cancer requiring a mastectomy. Um, my, my father had bladder cancer. My mother has had to have a lumpectomy. I mean, I don't need to give you the nitty gritty of my, my family history, but I found a suspicious lump um, that prompted me to, to see a specialist who was very concerned and actually asked that I go get um, s- some genetic testing done. I had a needle biopsy done of the, of the lump in my breast, and thank goodness everything came back all clear. But interesting, interestingly, Andrea, even though my genetic test, I did not have the the BRCA gene, and I'm, I know we'll, we'll, I don't know that we'll talk about that today, but we could talk about it on a future episode. Even though I didn't have that gene, which would, which would really increase my risk of uh, breast or ovarian cancer, my lifetime risk based on my my family history is still, I, I have over a 25% chance risk. So I d- absolutely, I regularly get my mammograms and all of my preventative visits. And yeah, I think this is a great time to plug for preventative care, preventative health checks. That's the way, I mean, the earlier you get these things diagnosed, the better the outcomes are. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, you know, when we're talking about cancer progression, it's not one day you ha- you don't have it and the next day you do. It's not like flipping a switch. So these are things that accumulate over time. And we call cancer a multifactorial disease. And what that means is many things contribute to the development and progression of cancer. So when we're thinking about risk factors, as Jess just mentioned, our own personal genetics and family history can contribute to pre-existing risk or predisposition to developing cancer. So some families may have these gene mutations that we've talked about um, already in their lineage, essentially. So they, they have this kind of inherited risk, but other mutations can actually accumulate over time through the fact that our cells are reproducing for our entire lives. And so as we age, mutations continue to accumulate. But there are also other things like environmental factors. So every single person's cancer is unique and every single person's risk factors and contributing factors are unique. So when we talk about those sorts of things, you know, we we talk about these gene mutations. So what is actually going to cause gene mutations to lead to the progression of cancer? Um, And so, of course, there are the mutations you're born with. These are heritable mutations, so things that are inherited. So as Jess mentioned, certain certain ethnicities, certain, um, you know, types of demographics of people have higher risks of being born with a genetic mutation that you inherited from your parents. And this type of mutation typically accounts for a small percentage of cancers, and many of these could be pediatric cancers as well. But the majority of mutations are ones that occur after birth. So these are ones that are not inherited, but um, can be due to environmental factors. And Jess, I don't know if you want to touch on some of these factors now. Yeah, for sure. So, so you know, as Andrea said, there are lots of different factors. Some of these are things that we're born with we can't change. Some of them are behavioral. Um, so certainly we know that certain lifestyle choices are known to increase your risk, right? So smoking, I think we all know that. That's been well established. Uh, drinking more than one drink a day for women and up to two drinks a day for men. Uh, excessive exposure to the sun or frequent blistering sunburns. 
being obese and having unsafe sex are known contributors to um, to cancer risk. So some other things are also um, environment. So if you, even if you don't smoke, let's say if you inhale secondhand smoke, or if you go where people are smoking, or if you live with someone who smokes, also chemicals in your home or your workplace, such as asbestos and benzene are also associated with an increased risk of cancer. Um, some things that you can't necessarily change. Uh, so age, right, Andrew, I think you mentioned this earlier, cancer can take decades to develop and it's not like a, a you know, a, a switch is flipped, right? But we know that most people are diagnosed with cancer um, at age 65 or, or older. Uh, but of course, even though it's more common in older adults, it's not exclusively an adult disease. And, and of course, we know that there are um, children and pediatric cases of cancer as well. Family history, I think we've touched upon that. Uh, actually, only a small portion of cancers are due to an inherited condition. But if cancer is common in your family, it is possible that mutations are being passed from, from one generation to the next. And then there are also some chronic health conditions. Um, one that comes to mind is ulcerative colitis, which mm -hmm. can markedly increase your risk of developing certain cancers. And I think, you know, and I'm going to touch on that in just a second, but other things other, you know, health condition related things that can lead to cancer are viral infections. So, you know, as Jess mentioned very early on in the episode, she mentioned the most common cancers and she mentioned that there was a trend where, you know, cancers are most prevalent in developed nations with high life expectancy, except for some like cervical cancer. And cervical cancer is almost always caused by a family of viruses called human papillomaviruses. So there are viruses that once you become infected with them can actually live in your body and they can lead to the progression of cancer by causing that dysregulation and that uncontrolled cell growth. Um, and, and cervical cancer is a, a very, very classic example for that. Now we have a vaccine for the most common types of human papilloma virus that lead to cervical cancer. And now that it's been implemented for several decades, we're actually seeing the reduction of cervical cancer rates in countries that implement this vaccine starting at a young age before people become sexually active and can spread the virus to each other. You mean so vaccines work? Yeah, <laughs> even for cancer. Um, so when we're talking about these mutations and these environmental factors, there's a lot of different classes of genes that drive this progression of cancer. So normally these genes perform critical um, elements in our what we call cell cycle, and we'll get more into that maybe on the next episode. But the three main classes are what we call oncogenes. So these are genes that can contribute to cancer, so onco. Um, tumor suppressor genes. So normally what they do is they actually suppress the progression of cancer and then also DNA repair genes. So as I said, we have mutations that are always occurring but these genes, when they function normally, they actually provide proofreading and error checking mechanisms to stop 
those mutations from taking root and leading to cancer progression. And ultimately, these cumulative mutations happen over time. So a couple of examples, and we'll get more into the nitty gritty on a future episode, but we have some that you might have commonly heard of. So an oncogene example would be something called HER2, um, and maybe people have heard of that in the context of breast cancer. Tumor suppressor genes, one, one very classical example is called P53. And then some examples of those DNA repair genes are the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 genes. And so these normal genes function properly, but when they become mutated, they start to behave abnormally, and that can lead to the progression of cancerous cells. So the last thing I think maybe we should touch on today is staging of cancer. So as we mentioned, you know, cancers are classified by the cell type or the tissue type, whether they're a solid tumor or a hematologic tumor, um, and also whether they're localized or whether they spread. And that's our staging of our cancer. And so we know that cancers that are very aggressive are often called metastatic cancers. And those are cancers that start in the original site and they spread to the body. And one thing that's important about the naming of the cancer is even if you have a metastatic or an invasive cancer, it's still named for the original site. So say you have breast cancer, but it metastasizes and it spreads to the lungs and the bladder. Those places, it's still called breast cancer. It's not now called bladder cancer. It's not now called lung cancer. It's called metastatic breast cancer that has spread to other sites in the body. So when cancer is staged, this obviously helps characterize the cancer itself, but also helps characterize how the treatment is going to be conducted. And so it's a very complex process involving pathology, involving testing, involving clinical investigation. And each type of cancer has a different process for how to stage cancer. Um, But we use a TNM system, which looks at the site of the, the primary tumor, We look at whether the lymph nodes have been involved. So if something has invaded lymph nodes, that often means that it has the potential to spread. And then the M is whether or not it has metastasized. And by using these groupings, we're able to classify cancers as stage, very broadly, as stage zero, stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four. So obviously, as you could assume, stage zero is your most localized, mildest, most treatable cancers. Stage four are the ones that have been very aggressively growing, are advanced, typically involve multiple organ systems or parts of the body, and these ones are typically termed your metastatic cancer. So preventative medicine enables us to do surveillance and and health screenings to identify cancers before they progress to later stage cancers. Um, and I think that's a big a big takeaway here. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, th- I think we, we've covered a lot of ground here. I know in the future, we're going to talk more about some of those, you know, clinical outcomes and some treatment options. But I think we've covered a lot of ground today. And, and maybe this is a logical um, mm-hmm. place to start winding down if you want to take us home. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously the big takeaway here for today is that cancer is not a single disease. It is a catch-all for 
hundreds if not thousands of of different diseases that all relate to uncontrolled and unregulated cell growth that our body is no longer controlling properly. And there's a lot of factors involved in how that occurs and what the actual cellular processes um, that occur. But ultimately, it's all linked to cumulative mutations. And there are different risk factors, um, as we discussed. There are different types of cancers, and these all have different things to keep in mind when we're looking to prevent, reduce the prevalence of, and obviously reduce mortality of. So thank you for joining us today. We hope you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to check out our website at www.unbiasedscipod.com. We put all of our show notes and links to sources on there, as well as some helpful infographics that we use to visualize some of the topics we discuss. Next week, we are going to dig into some more of the details with regard to cancer with some emphasis on treatment options and clinical outcomes. Cancer is extremely complex, so this is a very large topic that we will distill over time. And we will, of course, continue to provide updates on COVID-19 vaccine progress on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no-nonsense. Just science.